It is now my pleasure to introduce our keynote speaker, Megan Daly. Megan is the author of Raising Readers, aimed at parents and educators. She is passionate about children's literature and sharing it with young and old alike. In daylight hours, Megan is a teacher librarian at St Aidan's Anglican Girls School in Queensland and was recently awarded the Queensland Teacher Librarian of the Year by the School Library Association of Queensland, as well as the National Drumkin Librarians Award presented by our own State Library of Victoria. She is a former National Vice President of the Children's Book Council of Australia. She is currently on the Queensland Chapter of the Board of the Australian Children's Laureate and on the Publications Committee of the National Library of Australia. Um, Megan is going to give her address today entitled Creating Readers, Building a Reading Culture. Please join with me in welcoming Megan to our Slab Conference and to Melbourne. I was just saying to Miffy and Michelle, I um, don't normally have as extensive notes as I do today, but a few teacher librarians in Queensland were like, you should write notes, you're out here comfort zone, they're not Queenslanders. <laughs> so I'm going to read a lot of my speech today, um, also because I do have a lot that I want to talk to you about, and I also have a tendency to waffle terribly about things that I'm quite passionate about. We live in an age when, where the competing pressures of home, study and social life means that our young people are overwhelmed by choice more than ever before. Educators know that reading should be prioritised in order that students become and remain readers. And academic research indicates that reading and academic and social success coexist. Um, but we need to work out how li school library teams ensure the reading culture of their school is inspiring to students and that in doing so we are engaging our audience and responding to emerging reading trends. I've taken the conference theme of inspiring learners, building minds, creating readers as the framework for my talk. And while I know that inspiring learners refers to our students, as lifelong learners it also applies to us and to the body of research around the importance of school libraries. My own book, Raising Readers, and these are some images from um, the book launch. Um, they're my two daughters there and the 2,000 musk sticks that I made at 3 o'clock the morning before the book launch because I thought that would be an excellent idea. Um, <laughs> my own book, Raising Readers, is not academic in style, but that is absolutely intentional. And maybe one day I will do a PhD. I come from a family of academics. But my book is intended to be a conversation starter. And it's a midway point, I hope, between academic research and a blog. Because for those of you who don't know, my book was partly inspired by conversations that I started to have on my blog, Children's Books Daily. Raising Readers, as you've just heard, is indeed aimed at parents and educators, but also school library staff and public library staff. And the book sold really, really well, which makes absolutely no difference whatsoever to me financially, as there's very few people that make any money from books. But it does speak volumes about the interest that parents and educators have in raising readers. The most interesting thing for me is how it has given me a platform to speak to parents and classroom teachers about what school libraries and teach librarians and school library staff do in inspiring learners, building minds and creating readers. I spend heaps and heaps of time these days speaking in kindergartens, childcare centres and at staff meetings about raising readers when I'm not working as a teacher librarian <laughs> um, and building a reading culture. And I've seen really impressive results. An amazing school PNC group at a school library quite local to mine this is why you shouldn't have notes, because then you lose your place. <laughs> um, has used sections from Chapter 3 of my book, which is about school libraries, to advocate for a TL. The PNC agitated long and loud, and just last term they secured a TL full-time for their school, a position that had gone unfilled for many years after the retirement of their previous TL. Parents are often an untapped and really quite powerful resource for school libraries. The role of school library staff has often been unseen and the time is nigh for us to be vocal about our worth, to use research and data as evidence and books such as mine to start discussions. 
I feel really strongly that school libraries have a future in the current educational landscape and that contemporary libraries with vibrant library teams hold great potential in meeting the diverse current and future needs of school communities. This also aligns with the aims described in the Melbourne De Declaration on Educational Goals for Young Australians and its focus on the vital role that schools play in promoting the intellectual, physical, social, emotional, moral, spiritual and aesthetic development and well-being of all young Australians. My overarching aim as a teacher librarian is always to inspire and build engaged communities of readers and there's a huge body of research which firmly establishes the vital role that books play and story play in academic, social and emotional development. The TL has always had a really multifaceted role. The teaching of research skills balanced with the development of a reading culture, the resourcing of the curriculum and the technology. Many libraries, including my own, are now places where there are physical and virtual spaces for technology, making and creating, researching and reading. Student engagement in reading is always a high priority for school libraries and is my particular personal area of interest, um, expertise and research. But we also have the opportunity to consider new ways of thinking and doing when we embrace the riches which come when technology and reading combined, smash together. We are, for example, more connected than ever before to the stories of others, both worldwide and in our local communities. And technology like eBooks has opened the world of story to all, especially those with reading difficulties and differences. The ability to use varied screen size options, page turning features, audio narration and dyslexic friendly fonts allow for a wide range of individualised learning experiences. School library teams can, should, do carry out a diverse range of roles, supporting students and entire school communities to be lifelong learners and engaged readers. There is consistent evidence that reading for enjoyment provides students with a wide range of academic, personal and social benefits. There is also a strong body of research which establishes links between student literacy achievement and the presence of a school library staff and a well-resourced, well-funded, well-managed and accessible school library. I've spent the last six months being shadowed by a former teacher librarian who is now doing a PhD in reading engagement. And while she's only at the data collection phase and I can't share any of her research, I have really great hopes for her work. This study aims to identify how connections between reading enjoyment, imaginative and empathetic thinking, as well as student wellbeing and long-term sociocultural implications are understood and communicated. I had no idea when I said, yeah, that'd be fine to come and have a look at me, that she actually meant six months of writing down everything I say, videoing me, interviewing all of my students and making me generally feel quite uncomfortable. She's delightful, but it's slightly overwhelming. <laughs> um, and she does have six other people she's studying, not just me, because that would be weird. Um, I know there are also a number of other people doing research in the area, including Margaret Merger, Kay O'Doney and Anne Gillespie. I particularly like the quote on this slide from Merga about avoiding subjectivity and basing our talk in research. And I have this one on my notice board in front of my computer. Research is crucial in an age where data is prioritised over pretty much everything else. I've rallied against data collection for so many years, but fabulous teachers like Helen Stower in Queensland and researchers such as Merga, Adoni and Gillespie have gently shown me and us all how data on the difference that we make could actually save our libraries and library staffing levels. Collecting the data and recording the evidence, in the words of Anne Gillespie, may allow the teacher librarian to tell the story of their contributions to students' social, cultural and academic achievement and guide their practice. Personally, I think that reading could save lives. In an age where headlines scream about toxic masculinity, the role of the mother, sexual orientation and increasing violence linked to religious intolerance. I believe that if more boys were reading stories with girls in them, if more girls were reading stories with boys in them, if we were just all reading more stories of diversity, we would see so much more kindness, compassion, empathy and understanding in our young people. 
Books take us out of our bubble and allow a glance into the lives of others. I work at a quite privileged, very privileged school in Brisbane, and I'm constantly talking to the girls there about getting out of their bubble through books. And it's something I feel really passionately about. I think it's okay to acknowledge that our students are living in a bubble and that books take them out of that bubble. And so while everything that I do is grounded in academic research, I think that there's much to be said for anecdotal on the ground research specific to your school and to the needs of your school community. Just this month, there was an article in The Age about a school here in Melbourne, and I'm really hoping that this is an accurate account of what occurred at this school. The article states that the principal knew that the wider world was migrating online, but refused to accept that there was no longer a place for books in schools. He hired two full-time teacher librarians who introduced a school-wide reading program. Library staff numbers were increased, and the school started buying books again. <laughs> Within two years, there was a remarkable improvement in reading results reflected in NAPLAN and other data. Each year at my school, the library team carry out student and staff surveys around reading attitudes and their attitude to the library and what we offer in general. The next few slides show responses from some of my primary school students in answering the question, why do you read? And a few people... Um, asked me when I presented some of this at school how we take the data. We do use um, SurveyMonkey with the younger students as well, but we also do one-on-one -on -one interviews with our students. The responses show a few things, and I'm displaying responses that came up time and time and time again. I've just cherry-picked a few examples from some of the repeated topics and the ones that I thought were quite cute. <laughs> uh, we noted that parental and teacher expectations keep them reading, as does routine. That the links between reading and academic success are acknowledged by young people. We talk about it often, you know, if you want to do well at school, you have to keep reading. And they do take that message on board. And they also know that reading broadens their mind. I did wonder if that top one was my daughter. <laughs> That's my daughter in the picture. She's absolutely still so hopeful she'll one day wake up as Hermione Granger. <laughs> that is not how her hair looks. Her birthday present last year was a curler, just so she could curl her hair like Hermione. <laughs> we also submit an annual report each year to our school leadership team and the school board. Just done it Monday this week. And you can see some of the data that we collate on these slides. Actually, it was really good I had this conference deadline because it meant I got my annual report done. <laughs> We take data from our learning management software, our library systems, the databases that we subscribe to, and we use these to tell the story in data and in words and images of where the library is at and how relevant and how well we are used. I've got um, some copies, got about 10 copies, I think, of my full annual report if anyone wants to look at it later. And I've just whited out some of the names on that one. <coughs> so proud of my pie charts. Canva for the win. And so to creating readers and where I am at with my thoughts around this and where the research is pointing us and how you can continue to build a connected community of readers in your own place of work. I first want to have a look at some of the trends that we're seeing. And I've got references at the end of my presentation. Um, a lot of this has come from papers that I've seen and um, through different conferences that I've, I've been to recently. We've just recently had the Future Libraries Conference in, in Brisbane where we had someone from um, Nielsen Bookscan and some other people, booksellers, mostly booksellers. So social media. And the book, Book Creator Connection. Um, libraries and booksellers have had to become adept at social media and digital marketing. And, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's, 
it's the way our young people themselves are connecting with each other's. And so I think it's a truly authentic way for us to connect with them. There are some really great social media accounts run by libraries. I don't know if any of you know um, of the campaign that we have at two Catholic schools in Brisbane called Read Like a Girl. It's Mount Alvernia and I always forget the other one, Helen Spowers are the other one can't remember it but um read like a girl is a wonderful social media account and they run some fantastic events and their social media is beautiful and like me they create most of their images on canva canva is a teacher librarian's best friend <clears throat> the netflix uh, um, effect and the booksellers that i've spoken to in the last little while have really talked about this endlessly Netflix, movies, um, you know, ABC iView, it is really um, pushing the way publishing is going. I've just been reading the series Unseen, which is an ABC iView series as well. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant as a book series for teens and it's brilliant as a television show as well. Multimodal reading is becoming more and more and more important, mixing digital options with conventional ways of reading. As I said right back at the start, technology is what it is. It's here. We mostly all love it. Um, you know, we can't hold on to our paper books anymore and demand students read in paper. They're not always going to. Although I have to say, anecdotally, in my school, at least I have seen that they prefer paper. Um, fiction and non-fiction reading are very much on par these days and I've seen this spoken about quite a lot. Non-fiction titles on finance, self-help and social commentary are particularly prevalent and you can see this in the titles that are available not only to adults but also to teens and to primary school ch um, children. The amount of non-fiction books that I've added to my collection over the last few years um, flies in the face of what I thought was happening but those books are being less used for research and more used for recreational readings. Books like Turia Pitt's, um, it's not a memoir, it's sort of a self-help guide and, and all of those sorts of things are just so um, popular now. And it ties in with my next point. There's less time spent reading books and more, but more time spent reading overall. People are reading more, young people as well, are reading more essays, they're reading more blogs, they're reading more social media um, and that is also filtering down into the, so, into the non-fiction reading that they're doing. Um, the social nature of reading. Book clubs are really, really alive and well in Australia. Certainly in Queensland, all of our really big independent bookstores like Riverbend and Avid Reader and Where the Wild Things Are run book clubs. And I know of, I mean, most of my adult friends are in book clubs. <laughs> I don't have time. Um, and I run about six different book clubs at my school. I run book clubs for our international students because I think that um, reading books about Australian culture is a great way to introduce them to Australia and almost welcome them to the country and help them to understand the um, bizarre nuances of Australian teen uh, social lives. I run uh, my favourite book club is my um, book club for my year six students and a significant female in their lives might be a mother or an aunt or a big sister or a grandmother. Um, I run book clubs for younger readers. I run book clubs for the um, science girls and I don't understand those books um, and you know I run a number of book clubs I love book clubs because I think that reading can and should be a very social thing it's when you're actually reading you are doing it by yourself but in fact reading is one of those things that is a shared experience I'm currently I've just finished reading Fleischman is in trouble which is very much an adult book do not give it to your students um, but I was reading it with a really good friend of mine who said do not read another chapter until like we can talk about it together of course I read ahead but um, you know reading is a very social thing and I think that we should very much encourage that uh, local voices are really important in trying to understand where we are and how we got where we are. I know, I'm sure it's done well in Melbourne as well, but Too Much Lip has been incredibly popular in Queensland by Melissa Lukashenko because if, if you live in Brisbane, you see Melissa everywhere. I just feel like I run into Melissa Lukashenko every week and she carries around that big award she won recently. What's she win there? Stella. She won the Stella Prize. She's got this huge glass trophy which she carries around with her in a, in a Coles shopping bag. <laughs> She's divine. <laughs> and reading as relaxation is a real trend as well. This is from a survey of Australian reading habits. 
Nine in 10 Australians enjoy reading for interest or pleasure, and seven in 10 would like to spend more time reading books for relaxation and stress relief. That was very encouraging to me. Challenges, there was always challenges, but I think with challenges come opportunities. And we spend a lot of time at my school when we talk about challenges, not just saying, okay, these might be challenges. We say challenges and opportunities. Balance, the pressure of study, extracurricular pursuits, social gatherings and online world, how to balance it all. Parental involvement and expectations. Primary school reading, and I am a primary school teach librarian. Uh, we are a kindergarten to grade 12 school, um, and I work very closely with the senior teach librarian, but um, she often bemoans my borrowing stats being three times hers, because in primary school, reading is very structured and parents are very involved. Um, the school classroom readers are such a um, touchstone to, to learning how to read, as horrific as they are. And, you know, we have regular library lessons. So primary school reading is really, really structured. But how do parents stay involved once their child has achieved reading? I think it's important that we not be afraid to talk about requiring reading requiring training. Like anything we want to get better at, it always requires training. Um, once basic reading skills are in place, it's just about practice. My best friend at school is the PE teacher and I hate sweating. I hate moving my body. I hate walking. I caught an Uber here. I could have done a six minute walk. I caught an Uber. I don't like moving. And the, the PE teacher, she doesn't read. But we are very, very dear friends. And I, I look at her banging on every week at assembly about get to training girls. And I think, well, you know, I think reading is a bit the same. If PE teachers can bang on about all of the training you need to do to improve your physical fitness, I think teacher librarians <laughs> can bang on about the importance of reading, um, you know, improving your reading. Reading improves reading. And I think that it's really important that we talk about scheduling reading. You know, my girls do Taekwondo, which they hate because they also hate moving their bodies. Um, and, you know, we have to go to Taekwondo twice a week and they get roared at if they haven't practised. I think teach librarians could roar about reading. Um, I think that it's really important if, if we, you know, we're in an age where our lives are just so busy. Maybe we do need to be looking at scheduling reading a little bit more. Maybe we do need to be setting expectations that our students will schedule in reading time and that they will look at it almost as a training. You know, apparently children enjoy their sports training. So once they get started, and I think it's the same with reading, but I think it's important that parents feel okay about having expectations and teachers. <laughs> we have very much gone through an age where reading was seen as something very beautiful and mindful and restful and you should just enjoy it. And absolutely, I agree with all of those things, but we are really busy people. And I think that it is okay to have expectations of our students that they read and that they schedule in some of that reading time. I feel quite strongly about that. Um, social media. You know, most of our students, if you're in a high school, probably all of your students are on social media um, I have an 11-year-old that has written on the calendar when she turns 13 and can get Instagram, like, several years away yet. Um, but curating social media feeds is a really good way to include some book stuff in what they are seeing. And we spent a lot of time at school, and I spent a lot of time at school in library lessons talking to the girls, high school and primary school, about curating their social media to fill them up rather than make them feel that they should, you know, look a certain way and we all know the pitfalls with social media. I encourage our students to really curate their social media to include books and reading. There are such wonderful people to follow online and most of them are appropriate, most of the authors. People like Will Kostakis, apart from his shirtless selfies, um, but, you know, Will Kostakis is wonderful for teens to follow. Tristan Banks is wonderful to follow. Kelly Black is wonderful to follow. There's so many wonderful authors out there that are so giving of their time on social media. The publishers are really great to follow. They do fabulous images. They do quotes from books. It's so interesting. And, of course, following local independent bookstores because the events that they run are fabulous and their social media is often equally fabulous. And I think 
A, it's important we support our local independent bookstores, but B, you know, we just need to sometimes get out there. I am exhausted 24 hours a day. But, you know, sometimes I see something come up on Avid Reader and I think, ah, oh, I should make the effort to go to that. And it, social media is just that little prompt for me to go, I should make the effort to go to that. And I book my ticket and off I go. Social media does not have to be a negative. It can be absolutely a positive if our students are encouraged to curate it effectively to fill them up. I've talked a little bit about scheduling. I think it's really important that we encourage our students to schedule reading into the mix. I used to, um, a few years ago when I did talks in kindergartens, I would talk about making sure you have lazy Sunday afternoons to read. I, like, ditched that slide quite some time ago because I thought, who <laughs> the hell has a lazy Sunday afternoon? I, I wouldn't even know what lazy feels like. I now schedule Sunday afternoons where my children and I literally just read. I have to. I, I, I do not have large chunks of time in my life anymore where I can sit down and read. And, and I think that that's okay. I think that that prioritises reading. I think that that means it shows your children, it shows your students that you prioritise reading. Multitasking. Oh, my gosh. There's so much evidence saying, you know, that they can't, students, our young people can't multitask as well as they think they can. They can't have that sustained concentration. and They often don't have that sustained concentration anymore for reading a whole novel. They, they, they are unable to. And I know for myself, if I'm reading on an iPad, I am scrolling out to, like, look at the food that the author's just mentioned or... My emails will pop up. It's why I also have an e-reader that has got no notifications on it and I even turn off the Wi-Fi on it. It's all I can do is read. When you are in a book, you need to be mindful and present. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about now, mindfulness. Um, mindfulness has been on the table, so to speak, in schools for a few years now with lots and lots of schools um, incorporating some sort of mindfulness practice into their teaching and learning, just to add to everything that we are expected to do. Mindfulness is a way to improve concentration and um, the ability to be present. On a wider level, mindfulness has been shown to have a really strong relationship to improved attentional functioning, including sustained, selective and executive attention, and the ability to improve working memory and brain function I've got a chapter in my book called, Mind, I think it's called Mindful Reading, and some of the research is in there. But there is quite a lot of research, hard research, around the benefits of mindfulness. Mindfulness, I would say, however, is not for every student. We have a number of students at my school that um, are either on the autism spectrum or have, got, um, have had a trauma in their lives, and mindfulness for them is not something that we would do... Um, willy-nilly we we I think every you know we do with all students we look at their individual um individual circumstances but I think you need to be very careful when you are doing mindfulness to just be aware that some students find it incredibly difficult but for the masses it is wonderful Mindfulness practices are used in the treatment of young people with attention difficulties and more recent studies have conducted research on the potential benefits with students with reading difficulties, particularly dyslexia. It is really logical, to me anyway, that employing mindfulness techniques when reading would improve the ability to cope with sustained reading and reduce impulsivity and reading errors as readers are encouraged to slow down when they are reading mindfully and following a straight path through a text. I did um, some mindfulness training a couple of years ago. It was a um, three-day course, and I'm technically an accredited mindfulness teacher. I don't know what that actually means. I did enjoy the course, but I was actually, what struck me the most, and I was, of course, the only teacher librarian in the room, um, what struck me the most was that reading is such a mindful activity and that reading is also where many people find their flow. Flow theory is a really big part of mindfulness practice, and, again, I've talked about it in my book. But um, I spent a lot of time not being mindful at the conference and being really excited about the possibilities that mindfulness held for me as a teacher librarian. I went back to school and we looked at outcomes because we love an outcome, don't we? Um, and we looked at outcomes that might work for us at school and we developed um, a little curriculum docu document around mindful reading and what I hope to achieve with it. And then we rolled out a sort of a six-month um, 
experiment, I guess, where I did mindfulness in my library lessons um, pretty much every week. So we um, we we did a, a meditation first, and I used um, a number of books that I just really enjoyed passages from. I used a little bit of the Calm app. I used a few different apps that had some age-appropriate mindfulness practices. And we just talked to the girls. We're an Anglican school, so we just talked about the fact that mindfulness is not, in fact, a religious practice. Um, and, you know, all of the preppies in particular go, oh, when I say we're going to do mindfulness, I'm like, no, we're not umming. We're just improving our attention. We're improving, improving our attention and our ability to focus on one thing at a time. And we talked, we used language around that. It was quite academic, in fact, because we wanted to take away that whole om effect. Um, we talked about it being brain training and just a way to calm yourself at school to improve your learning. I did it with students up to grade eight. So we did prep to grade eight, so six-year-olds up until grade eight. And each week we did a little mindfulness practice where we did all listen to me just reading quietly, as quietly as I can. Um, and then we turned down the lights in the library and they just read for 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Um, and the rule was that the teachers had to read and I couldn't believe the grumbles I got. Um, <laughs> But at the end of six months when I did my survey and when we talked about it at length and quite honestly as a staff, some of the teachers said, I have not read a book in front of my class in 20 years. And some of them said, I haven't read a book myself personally in two years. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And I can't put every library lesson into mindful reading, but we now do spend term four, which let's face it is hideous. We now do spend term four each year doing mindful reading as a way to just calm the farm because term four is foul. Um, and it's been unbelievable. We've also introduced a um, singing bowl sound twice a week that goes over the PA system in the whole school where everybody stops and we, we do mindful reading. We all just spend a few minutes being quiet and then we all do mindful reading. I've tried to even encourage the office and finance staff to do it. I don't think I've had a lot of success, but the idea is that everybody does it. And there's a few things in that. It's been incredibly interesting for the staff as well. It's been, they've had some really good discussions with their students about their own reading. They've had conversations with their students about the books they are reading in their mindful reading time and, and about their own books. It's shown the students that their teachers can also be read, should also, hopefully are also readers. But primary schools and secondary schools are incredibly busy places these days. And it is not always, you know, I remember when I started as a teacher librarian eons ago, I was the youngest teacher librarian in Queensland at one stage. I was on a billboard. I am not the youngest teacher librarian anymore. But, when, you know, when I started, people did silent reading. I don't know about your schools. Nobody does silent reading anymore. Basically, what I've done at my school is rebrand silent reading, mindful reading, which really fits in better with the curriculum these days. And it's real, look, it is. It's just silent reading. But we've really taken it on board and I think the thing that we've added to it is rather than coming in after school, uh, after the lunch bell in the middle of summer and it's really hot and everybody's tired and we go, all right, 20 minutes of quiet reading. Uh, not we do that anymore anyway. We've actually taken the time to go, hey, we're going to calm our brains down first. We're going to um, get ourselves into a good zone for reading and then we're going to do 20 minutes of reading. And it has been absolutely beautiful. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, reading is one of the easiest ways, actually, to be in the being mode. Reading brings us into the present moment. It takes us away from our to-do lists and our worries and our thoughts that often activate our stress responses. Readers require sustained concentration to read and make meaning from literature and time to reflect and appreciate the nuances in language and the practice of being mindful or present. As we read is a skill to encourage uh, we call it deep reading. It's slow reading or mindful reading. Mindful reading is not skimming or scanning a text. It is not highlighting and adding notes or reading while multitasking or becoming sidetracked by social media. It really is about being in the moment. And I've just seen so many benefits from it. 
The following slides showcase a number of things that we do at my school in creating a community of readers. And I know that later today, others will be sharing what they are doing in their communities. And I don't want to spend too long um, going over what we do personally, but I think that we do do some things really well. For those of you who um, don't follow me on social media, my teaching partner is a lady called Jackie Child. And she has a um, blog called Tinkering Child. And um, she's in her mid-60s and she used to be a rally car driver. And then she became a teacher librarian, um, as you do. Um, so she is the tech side of our operation. And we have had car motors in my library um, and all manner of technology that children pull apart and bleed over. <laughs> because she allows them tools I'm not sure they should be allowed. Um, but she is amazing and well worth checking out her blog and her social media. She runs something called TechMates, um, which is similar in style to my Girls' Own Book Club, which is the top point there. So my Girls' Own Book Club is for, as I said, year six girls and an adult in their lives and usually a female. And... I've seen it have amazing results. I just had my book club breakup last week and we always have our book club breakup at a local um, independent bookstore and Fiona Stagger, the owner of Avid Reader, does a talk around Christmas reading for the girls and Christmas reading for the adults and then we go and have dinner somewhere and it's amazing. I start the year always with about 80 in my book club. It comes down to a core group of about 40 um, and it is amazing. I have parents every year cry at the last book club meeting and say this has been the best thing they have done with their daughter because for any of you who have tweens, I have an 11-year-old and she really doesn't like me very much at the moment and really I get very little from her except eye rolls and looking me up and down and saying I can't believe you're going to go out in public like that. Um, you know, I don't have a lot to say to my 11-year-old and teenagers are at that stage where they don't necessarily want to connect with their parents and that's as it should be. They are doing that separation thing that apparently they're meant to do. Um, but reading is and book clubs are an incredibly brilliant way to connect with your child and that is what mothers and aunts say to me time and time again. This has given me a point of connection with my child. This has given me something for us to talk about together and it's also I choose the books very carefully so I've got, on my blog, I've got a little tab that says build a book club. And I think I've got a few notes in there. I do have an e-course that's been coming for about two years, but you know, I've had a few things happen in my life. Um, but I do have a lot of stuff that I am going to put on there about my book club and about what I do. But basically I choose the books very carefully to um, be entertaining, but also educational and take us out of our bubble. So we will do books that might be about teenagers going through really tough situations. The first book that we started with this year was Catch a Falling Star by Meg McKinley, um, where the father has passed away and it's set in I think the 70s. Um, and it's just one of the most beautiful books. And my husband passed away two years ago and quite a few of the mums said to me, is Ava, my daughter, going to be okay with this? And I said, yeah, absolutely. She doesn't talk about daddy ever. She doesn't want to. I said, but I think that that will be really important for her peers to read that story and understand a little bit more of what she is going through. We have read Sick Bay this year by Nova Wheatman, which has been really fabulous in talking about diabetes. And again, I knew there was a child with diabetes in the book club. I spoke to her mother first and I said, you know, are we going to be okay with this? We won't identify her. And a lot of the girls don't even know she has diabetes, but that's also a big part of the book. And I think that books are a subtle way to have those conversations with teenagers that don't want to have a lot of talking. Um, we always read one of the books from the Through My Eyes series, which are edited by Lynn White, um, which are about children in natural disaster zones or war zones, contemporary war zones. Because again, I talk about getting um, them out of the bubble. 
We always read a Belinda Murrell or a Jackie French or a Pam Rushby historical fiction because the mums always really enjoy the historical fiction. And, you know, I always say to the girls, I've learned more about history through Jackie French and Pamela Rushby than I did in all of my years in primary school. Brings history to life, doesn't it? So I choose the books carefully to be books that aren't going to be ones that they would normally read. I would never do Nevermore. I would never do Harry Potter. Um, I don't know. I'd never do the popular ones because I always choose the ones the girls maybe aren't going to take. And the reason I think it works really well is they go into high school having done that middle grade reading. They are young to be reading some of the books that we read, but they go into high school having, I see middle grade fiction as a stepping stone to young adult fiction. And I talk in my first book club meeting of the year about how um, girls, I know that a lot of you have been reading the horrible, colourful fairy books from very many years now and they're your happy place. Um, But this year, and I in my library only let children borrow one of the colourful fairy books a week, hate them. Um, But um, (laughs) I had a grade two child in the other day getting some books for holiday reading and her mum had a bundle of 10 of the colourful fairy books. And and her daughter looked and said, I don't know how to borrow one of those, Mrs. Daddy doesn't think they're very good for our brains. Um, (laughs) I said, well, they're just like reading a magazine, aren't they, darling? (laughs) I let her get to. Um, but um, I do, you know, I talk about how I see this book club as a way of moving the girls on from primary school reading, which is very safe and lovely and happy clappy, um, onto more young adult fiction and, and all of its themes of sex, drugs and rock and roll. But I think middle grade is a really good stepping point. And a lot of parents don't know about middle grade. Middle grade didn't really exist when we were younger. The first I ever, middle grade, I probably ever read was John Marsden. Um, But middle grade is such a great area in publishing now. And when parents get really into it, I always have parents say they've so enjoyed reading alongside their children. Um, So then we also run Tech Mates. Well, Jackie runs Tech Mates. Um, we have we do lots of displays for the library and pop-up libraries at Grandparents' Day and Open Day. Grandparents' Day, the grandparents are often very happy to see the pop-up libraries because it's something they know and books are something they can cope with and they don't really want to see the drones and well, Jackie thinks they want to see the drones, but I think they want the books. Um, I also run our Earth Angels group at school, which is our sustainability group, and we have um, I have several beehives outside my library, native beehives, they don't sting, um, and I have a huge collection of books on gardening and native bees and sustainability, which are some of which are outside the library, some of which are inside the library, but it's been a really good learning for the girls that um, we can be gardeners and we can have pets and things, but in order to understand those and in order to understand sustainability, we need to read about it. We also run events called The Living Room, um, which I've got a few slides on later. We have um, social media for the school, which is pretty inactive because Jackie Child and I have our own social media. And I do kindy parent talks to our um, parents several times a year in order to train them as to what will be happening with school readers and why they are not that important. Um, We also try really hard to um, encourage the teachers in our school to develop their own personal reading. So Kristen Lewis, the senior teacher librarian, has just spent the last two weeks um, encouraging all of the teachers to take home. We have a large adult collection of books in our senior library, massive, fantastic, um, that the teachers borrow and we get them to do holiday reading as much as possible. We have teacher book clubs. Um, And we work alongside the teachers to embed reading in meaningful ways. Um, For example, um, our grade sevens were looking at changing their set text from boy in striped pyjamas, which we'd done for a number of years. And um, one of the English teachers emailed me and I suggested detention. They wanted something more contemporary. Um, And that's just been, we've just, so we bought, um, you know, 500 copies of detention the week it came out um, because I'd read it in proof form and um, it was just, it was, it's been wonderful. The grade sevens have just done it this term and they have so enjoyed it and the teachers have adored it. So I think that when we can work alongside teachers and suggest appropriate texts, I mean, seriously, we have a grade five teacher who every year pulls out that, now I can't think of it, that time slip novel from the 80s. It'll come to me. No, not playing Beady Bow. Space Demons. Seriously? I mean, okay, it was all right in its time. I love Gillian Rubenstein, but there is some flaws in it. And every year I just look at her and say, you know I've got better time slip novels? And she's like, yeah, nothing written after 
What did she say? 1992 is any good. <laughs> and the girls hate it. They hate it. Every year they hate it. So when we can work alongside our English staff, I think that we can really um, do some more, um, suggest some more contemporary titles. And we also use our author visits as PD for teachers. We add it to their um, time that they have to do for their PD and we make it absolutely not non-contact time. And I take I, their, yeah, I take their devices off them as they go in because otherwise they just sit there and read their emails, don't they? Um, I know they're busy. Um, and so the living room events. Um, the living room is a series of speaker talks that we do. We do about 12 a year and they're aimed at adults and they're aimed at members of our local community, not our school community. It's really interesting. We do not get a huge amount of our own parents and teachers coming to the events. Um, we mainly get members of the community and that's exactly what we wanted. Obviously, it is also a form of marketing. We want eyes on the school, but more than anything, it's our give back to the community. So the living room is us inviting you into our living room and we set up our auditorium or whichever venue we're using with really lovely chairs and we make it a conversational style. I've got one of the running sheets up there. I think that's from my own. I can't see that. I think that's from my own book launch. Um, and I was interviewed by um, Jessica Rudd, who's a parent at our school, and Fiona Stagger about my book. And it was beautiful and intimate with 400 people. Um, but it was lovely. Um, so we, um, I run a group called Your Kids Next Read with authors Alison Tate and Alison Rushby. And we recently had a Your Kids Next Read live event and meetup, and that was incredibly popular. We had several hundred people at that. Um, we have about 8,000 people in our Facebook group and lots of people travelled from a long way away to come and meet us and we're really not that interesting in real life. Um, but it was lovely and we talked about books and we, um, and we interviewed each other and it was just beautiful. We always have alcohol at our events. I think that's very important. Um, and we always have a really beautiful grazing table. We have lovely catering. They are – well, they're, they're, they're ticketed. They are about $25. They're not cheap. They're not free. We've come to the point, I don't know how things are in Melbourne, but there is such um, an incredible amount of events that you could go to every week. And I know that bookstores also struggle with this. Um, we have had to ticket our events to ensure people actually turn up because when they are free, um, people will book them willy-nilly and then often not turn up. But we make them really nice events. They're very lush events. We really enjoy them. So we run lots and lots and lots of them for um, adults each year. We've had Trent Dalton, who was beautiful. He had the whole room crying. Um, and he's also local. I mean, we're only using local people um, and we do – pay them a small speaker's fee, but, um, yeah, they're not expensive events for us to run. Um, and then we also do the living room for children. So we've had high teas with Belinda Murrell. Um, we've had vet conventions with Rebecca Johnson, which have been absolutely beautiful. Um, and we get, you know, hundreds of children at those. And, again, they're ticketed events. They're not that cheap. I think that one was quite expensive because it came with a whole vet kit and the book. Um, we have a bookseller at all of our events. We have um, Where the Wild Things Are do all of our book selling, and it's it's fantastic. They are such great community events. It's Trent Dalton, who does not love Trent Dalton. He is beautiful. Um, so... Our living room events have been really, really popular and you can see them on the St Aidan's main page on, on, on their social media, but they've been um, incredibly successful. So I guess what I've hoped to do today is give you a bit of a snapshot, A, of what I do, but B, of why I think it's incredibly important that we ground everything we do in research um, and in, in academic research, but also in um, anecdotal research. I think that after, I think that it's incredibly important that you take the time in a busy school year to do surveys, to make sure that you get feedback on everything that you do and that you change your practice based on that feedback. A lot of us have done what we've done for a number of years now, for a long time, in fact. And sometimes we find that, um, sometimes we do that because we're busy or it's familiar and it's easy for us, but it's really important that we respond to the needs of our um students and our teachers and our community of readers in our places of work and when we do anecdotal research when we get some data on what we're doing and change our practice everything is great we are very valued at our school and I know that and it's because of the time that we put in to show 
what we do and and sing loudly about what we do. I think that I know when I got the um, Drum Keen Librarians Award, one of the things, pretty much the only thing I said in my speech was any one of you in this room as well could get the Drum Keen Librarians Award. All I do different to any of you is I'm a lot louder. I'm not afraid to say, hello, this is what I do. Because I actually feel my mum's a teacher librarian as well and she just retired this year and she wasn't replaced. <laughs> and it is happening all the time. And what she did at her school was magic. Everything I know about being a teacher librarian, I have learnt from my mum. And I, all I do differently to my mum is I'm very loud um, and I, I, I tell what I do. I tell the story of what I do through data and, and through things like my annual report. My mother's only ever heard me speak once because she thinks I'm very shrill um, and it's a little bit gross to stand up and talk about what you do. Um, <laughs> I love her dearly, but that time has gone. We have got to talk loudly about what we are doing and we have got to get the evidence around what we give to our school communities. So thank you very much. Okay, just before I thank um, Megan, um, we've probably got time for a couple of quick questions. Can you um, give an example of the mindfulness reading that you use? You mean in the practices? Yeah, so I use this really great book called, um, oh, you've all got your pencils out and now I can't remember it. It's really pretty. It's hardcover and has very nice end papers. Is it an anatomy of reading? No, it's... Well, thank you. Oh, my gosh, you are the best. A Velocity of Being. You read my blog, do you? Thanks. Um, <laughs> a Velocity of Being, which has letters to a reader from famous personalities. And so I get all of the um, students to lie down and close their eyes and I read one of those. So I've loved that book very much. And I do have some, if you search Mindful Reading on my blog, I do have some other books. I've often read things like I Am Peace, I am yoga, um, and I've also, that course that I did was called Peaceful Kids, which I think is actually a Melbourne-based company, and um, she has a lot of really beautiful mindfulness um, scripts that you can read to children, and um, she wrote most of the chapter in my, my book about mindful reading, but um, I also use the Calm app, and I use Headspace, and that other one that I can never remember. No. What's the other one? Smiling Mind. Yeah, I use those a lot as well. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah. One more. What time of year do you do surveys? Do you find doing it? Um, I, I do one, I usually do one in term one, and I do them in library lessons. Actually, I forgot to say that I do them in library lessons so that I have a good response, right? Um, <laughs> sit down, students. This is what you're doing today. Um, no, I do do them in library lessons, and I do one in term one where we just talk about what they think about reading. It's more a general one about them and their identity as a reader. I talk to my students a lot about them developing their own identity as a reader, and my students are very honest with me because I'll have kids. I've got a kid, Chloe, um, who, like, I know I haven't cracked her. And when she comes into the library, she just looks at me. She says, you know, I'm going to borrow it and stick it straight back in the returns chute. And I haven't cracked her yet, but she's really honest with me. And so, and they do not feel afraid in that survey at the start of the year to say, I hate library. Um, but, and then I do one at the end of the year as well. Yeah. In, at the start of term four. Um, so thank you so much, Megan. Um, uh, on behalf of Slav, I'd really like to thank you for your insights into how you go about creating a culture of reading in your school. So um, very a fantastically inspiring session today. Thanks. So thank you very, very much. Um, I know that um, I also believe Megan's book, Raising Readers, of course, is a must for all of your professional libraries if you don't have a copy already. So thank you so much for no, today. Much appreciated. Much.